Welcome to Tales of the Crossroads, where imagination knows no bounds. In this inaugural episode, we present a brief audiobook to unravel the intriguing backstory of the Crossroads universe. While our future episodes feature friends gathered around a table playing the Crossroads Interdimensional Tabletop RPG, this special installment is a short and immersive journey into the origins of the Crossroads world. These are the tales of the Crossroads, adventures that take place across all the dimensions connected to the Crossroads world. Siege of Dawn Wind, a short story by A.M. Salfane. Paula Lightseeker stepped out of her home and stopped to breathe in the smell of fresh baked goods from the bakery down the road. Heavenly. As always, the little halfling woman decided to start her day with a pastry. Although there were a dozen other people in the bakery, and although it was a beautiful spring morning, a tension in the air smothered everything. Smiles were strained, and laughter was half-hearted. Both faded quickly. Hala looked over the crowds moving through the street, heart-heavy with concern. Their idyllic little life here in Dawnwind was coming to a close. Unless Hala and her companions could do something, it was a monumental task. Hala shook her head, trying to dislodge the negative thoughts. It could be weeks or months before the Crowlands attack. Until then, there was always hope for peace, slim though it may be. Hala's heart dropped through her stomach. Everyone on the street froze, staring towards the outer wall where the alarm bells tolled. Oh, gods above! It's the Crowlands! They've come! A nearby gnome woman said in a terrified, strained voice. The spell broke, and people ran in all directions. A member of the town guard, a stout dwarf in polished armor, tried to regain some order, shouting, Calm down, everyone. Don't panic. There's plenty of time before they'll attack in earnest, and more until they get through the walls, if they do at all. If you have positions in city defense, get to them. Otherwise, go home and lock your doors. No one listened. Hala looked between the city center and the outer wall a couple times, deciding. She should get to the others, but she wanted, needed, to see what they were up against. She was a lot closer to the wall. Making up her mind, she turned and ran towards the outer wall, dodging around the panicking townsfolk. Bounding up the stairs, Hala quickly reached the top of the wall and ran to look out through one of the crenellations. A massive army was arrayed on the plains before the city. Hundreds, thousands of soldiers. Spaced throughout them were dozens of iron golems, each twenty feet tall and wielding a gargantuan sword that could split five men in a single blow. Hala's breath caught in her throat. Talking to herself, she asked, 
How did they get so close to the walls without being noticed? The twice-cursed fiends used some powerful cloaking spell to sneak up on us. A voice answered, causing Hala to jump. She turned to find the owner of the voice, a mountain goblin, much larger and more strapping than most, likely due to some orc ancestry not far back. Captain Dunn, Boom Knuckle Keon, still staring out at the Krolin army, continued, What are you doing on the wall, Hala? Aren't you and the others supposed to be at the tower, working on your plan? Hala looked back out at the army. I had to see if we were... here. If this was really the cause of the alarms. Even though she could see it with her own eyes, a part of Holly hoped she was wrong. Aye, lass. Boom Knuckle said gravely, We're here, the end of days, the last hours, the final moments. We may be able to hold the walls for a short while, but there's not a thing we can do to stop that army from laying waste to this city. They'll burn it to the ground, slaughter thousands, and enslave the rest. Unless you and the Mystic Circle can do something. Boom Knuckle let the question hang in the air between them. Hala stared at the Krolin army, fighting back the tears and fear. She took a breath and shoved all that aside, choosing resolve and belief instead. There were too many lives on the line to doubt, to worry, to fear. There's one thing we can do, Boom Knuckle, if the gods be with us. Hala said, voice firm with resolve. Hold the walls as long as you can. Hala turned on her heels and marched for the stairs. She walked with purpose through the city, heading for a tower near the center. Guards standing at the entrance to the tower nodded to Hala as she approached. Welcome back, Mistress Lightseeker, one said, opening the door for her. Is it as bad as they say? The other asked as the halfling started through the doorway. Hala stopped and looked up at the half-elf human. His eyes were filled with worry. It's worse, she said, not wanting to lie to him. But there's hope. We have one trick up our sleeves. Just a little fib, she tells herself. Nodding to the guards, she entered the tower and approaches a large mirror set into a stone wall, the only thing in a room with no doors, no stairs, and no furniture. With a wave of her hand, the mirror glowed for a moment and then revealed a room other than the one she was in. Without slowing, Hala walked right through the mirror and into an opulent room at the top of the tower, filled with red carpet, plush furniture, and tasteful decorations. Two others waited for her, standing in the middle of the room by a large table. Ah, Hala, there you are. We sent a runner to search for you, the man on the left said. Jalen Nola was a tall moon elf, with eyes and hair a light blue that would glow in the moonlight. We sent a runner to the wall as well to learn the situation. We were just discussing whether or not we should prepare for the ritual. The second man, Trumble Watermuddle, added, a burly dwarf with a large white beard and a blue crystal where his left eye used to be. I just came from the wall, Hala said, moving to join the others. It's as bad as it could be, she said, looking at Jalen, then to Trumble. And yes, it is time for the ritual. Let's get to work. Although the three members of the Mystic Circle were all equals, Hala's determination and verve had the others right behind her as she moved to the table and started collecting the supplies needed for the ritual. The next room over was a bare stone room with clean, smooth walls and floors, 
perfect for this kind of ritual. Within minutes, all three were hard at work preparing for the ritual. An hour later, as they were finishing up, a magical chime sounded throughout the tower. Jalen left the ritual chamber, while Hala and Trumbull put on the finishing touches to the complicated runes and diagrams drawn on the floor. A moment later, Jalen returned, followed by a shorter human man with a bald head under a golden crown, draped in a heavy, opulent cloak and wearing the finest clothes. Trumbull quickly stood and bowed to the king. Hala, still on her knees, remained there for another long moment as she finished drawing a small sigil with careful attentiveness. King Matthias waited as she finished the sigil, stood, dusted her knees off, and then finally bowed. King Matthias Pennington looked slowly from one to the other, gaze stern. You told me there might be a plan. You certainly look like you're working on that plan. And yet, I know nothing of the plan, and have certainly not approved it. Somehow that has failed to stop you from giving orders to the captain of the wall guard. Explain. Although King Pennington was an affable, fair man, well-loved by his people, his rebuke left no room for argument. Hala bowed slightly again. Forgive me, my king, but I've seen the army out there. I talked with Boom Knuckle, Captain Keon. We can't stand against that army. We all know what the Crolans do to the cities they conquer. This is our only chance. We don't have a choice. You haven't even said what this is. King Pennington reminded her. Jalen cleared his throat. My liege, we cannot defeat that army. We could do a great deal of damage with our spells, but not enough. If victory, peace and negotiation are all out of reach, then there is only one option which remains to us. Escape. Escape to where? The king asked, intrigued but concerned. You plan to open a portal for the people to run through? That would take too long. Hala agreed. It would be impossible to get everyone through a portal in time, especially with the enemy at their heels. That's why we must take the whole city with us. The king was stunned into silence for a moment, staring at Hala. Move the entire city. I'm not a wizard. But wouldn't the power required to do that be astronomical? Indeed. Jalen agreed. But we believe there's a way. We don't actually move the city. We'll keep it right here, but shunt it into another dimension instead. One where there's no Crowland Horde on our doorstep. Another dimension? Like the Divine Realm? The king asked. That would be one choice. Jalen said with a nod. But there are so many more. Hala continued. We've discovered through our experiments that there are infinite dimensions out there. Anything you can imagine. You're talking about alternate realities, then? Other versions of our world that the mathematicians have theorized about? The king asked, trying to follow along. Hala shook her head. Not exactly. Those alternate versions of our world are there. But it's more than that. There are worlds out there that are nothing like ours. Worlds with no magic. Worlds with advanced technology. Worlds where there are only humans. Worlds where people travel between the stars. Worlds that only exist in the pages of an author's book, or the lines of a script. Any world, universe, reality or dimension you can imagine is there for us to access. And you can go to these places? How many have you visited? The three members of the mystic circle shared a look that did not instill the king with confidence. We, uh, haven't been to one yet. 
Hala confessed. From what we can tell, opening a doorway is risky. We plan to spend more time studying and preparing before doing so. What kind of risk? A magical backlash. Most likely it would kill the casters. Trumbull explained. Most likely. The king parroted, mulling it over. And what is less likely? What is the worst-case scenario? An explosion rips apart this tower and a portion of the city around us. Difficult to say how much exactly. Maybe a few blocks? Trumbull answered. That won't happen? Hollis said quickly. It's extremely unlikely. Worst-case scenario, it just kills us in the attempt. And we're willing to take the risk. The king shook his head. You may be, but I am not. If we lose you, then we'll have to fight without your magic. You are a significant portion of our defensive strength. I'm not willing to risk losing you on such a foolish, ill-thought idea. But my lord... Howla began. I've made my decision and have declared it. King Pennington cut her off. There shall be no more discussion. Pennington stared Hala down until she averted her eyes, looking demurely to the floor. Satisfied, the king looked to Trumbull and Jalen, both of whom nodded acquiescence. Prepare yourselves to defend the walls of this city and report to me at the eastern gate in half of an hour. Understood? All three nodded, and the king left. Hala followed and watched him leave through the portal to the base of the tower. Once he was through, she waved her hand and it turned back into a mirror. All right, let's get to work. We don't have much time, Hala said. Trumbull nodded. I'll gather the materials we need. Jalen, will you grab the defensive scrolls to— No, not that. We need to move the city before the king misses us, Hala said. The others gaped at her. The Krolan army is thousands strong, and they have dozens of those iron golems. Our efforts, at best, may buy the city a few extra minutes down there. If we're going to die, I say we die doing something that actually has a chance of making a difference. I'm not interested in throwing my life away meaninglessly. How about you? Trumbull and Jalen thought for a moment before agreeing. Personally, I'd rather die in the glory of battle than in a magical accident. Trumbull replied. Now that being said, if none of us need to die at all, that would certainly be the best choice. If we go through with this and survive, King Pennington might just lock us up for disobeying. But a few months in the city jail sounds pretty relaxing compared to this past year. I could finally catch up on my sleep. Let's do it. Jalen agreed. Minds made up. The three members of the Mystic Circle made their final preparations and began casting the ritual. Thirty minutes later, across the city at the Eastern Gate, King Pennington surveyed the enemy army preparing for an assault. He was terrified, but refused to show it. Glancing around him and down at the street, he frowned at the continued absence of the Mystic Circle. Looking to the tower, he spoke to one of his aides. They should have been here by now. They've had weeks to prepare and have everything gathered. Send a man to collect them and bring them here with all haste. The aide nodded and passed some instructions onto a nearby runner, who took off down the stairs and then through the crowd of soldiers waiting to defend the gate. As the runner disappeared up the street, a brilliant blue flash came from the tower. Everyone stopped and looked. Another flash came a moment later, and then a large blue bubble began expanding from the tower. The bubble expanded quickly, growing to encompass the entire city. 
King Pennington felt a shiver run up his spine as the magic bubble passed through him to encompass the eastern gate. He frowned at the tower, knowing what was happening. But, in his heart, he said a prayer to his patron god to make it work. Outside the walls, at the appearance of the blue bubble, a symphony of horns filled the air, followed quickly by war cries and senseless yelling. The army surged forward. Archers and lesser spellcasters on both sides quickly filled the air with projectiles, both magical and mundane. Arrows and fireballs filled the air as men charged forward. Coming a little slower with a lumbering gait, the iron golems weren't far behind. Within minutes, several iron golems were pounding on the eastern gate with fearsome blows that sent splinters flying into the courtyard with each hit. Soldiers in the courtyard stood closer together, ready as they could be to face the dark horde pounding at the gates. Blue light continued to pulse from the tower faster and faster every minute. An electric tingle filled the air. Stray hairs started to float up from heads all over. Soldiers not engaged in the fighting yet gave each other odd looks. A large metal hand reached up over the wall and grabbed the crenellations, followed quickly by a second and then a head. Soldiers panicked and yelled. Arrows bounced harmlessly off the head. Men ran forward and stabbed at the hands, head, and eyes, trying to dislodge the beast before it could mount the wall. A wizard ran over and pulled up his overlarge sleeves before drenching the golem's head in blistering red flames. The iron golem, hardly slowed down by the attacks, pulled itself up and over the edge of the wall. King Pennington stumbled back, away from the monstrosity. More soldiers rushed forward to attack the golem. Below them, the king barely registered the sound of the gates shattering into the courtyard and men screaming as they were assaulted by two more of the behemoths. It's over, the king thought. They were right. There's no fighting these things. A deafening crack overshadowed the sounds of battle. King Pennington turned and looked to the tower again. Or rather, where the tower was supposed to be. As if in slow motion, an opaque blue ball of crackling energy was expanding from the center of the tower, tearing it apart and launching the stones ahead of it. The explosion grew to unbelievable size in an instant, tearing through the city towards the eastern gate. Buildings were ripped to shreds with some pieces of debris, turned into projectile weapons, while the rest was consumed by the explosion. For what felt like minutes but was in reality moments, King Pennington's thoughts were torn between the fools of the mystic circle, the loss of his kingdom and all of its people, and a strange sense of relief that his people were being gifted a quick death rather than face the pillaging of the Crolin horde. The king's thoughts were ended a second later as the explosion consumed the eastern gate and the first few ranks of the attacking horde. Standing at the back of his troops, the Crolin commander, Master Norris, a hulking minotaur, watched as the city was consumed. As the explosion reached the bubble around the city, it halted, but only for a moment. The bubble shattered under the force, and as it came apart, white-blue cracks shot through the air in all directions. Like shattering glass, the cracks split and collided and split again. They streaked across the sky and down through the ground. One of the cracks went right through a cluster of soldiers and ripped the men into pieces.
Master Norris, who had seen the worst the world had to offer and done much of it himself, felt fear like he had never known. The world itself was shattering, and there was nothing he could do. In just seconds the cracks were everywhere. There was a brief pause, a moment of calm in the storm as the cracks hung suspended, and Master Norris waited for it all to break apart. And then the cracks were gone. As quickly as they'd come, they vanished. Men screamed in agony, and the army milled in confusion next to a crater that had once been a city. Master Norris looked around, trying to get a handle on the unusual situation. Hundreds were dead, torn apart by the cracks. Hundreds more had lost arms or legs to the phenomenon. Half of his iron golems were down. The city they came to conquer was gone. A hundred yards away, where several cracks had converged, a swirling vortex hung a foot in the air. Crackling energy surrounded the vortex, clutching at rocks and floating them in rings around the vortex, occasionally flinging one away and replacing it with another. Gesturing to one of his spellcasters, who seemed to still have his wits, Master Norris started walking. Ignoring his army, they'd pull themselves together, and with the city gone they had plenty of time to do so. He picked his way through the fallen and made it to the vortex. His spellcaster stopped at his side. I thought the world itself would fall apart there. Took the sun, Goblin said. His eyes were a golden yellow, and his skin was lighter than the other types of goblins common to the land. Master Norris nodded absently. We're still here, and now this as well. What is it? Took examined the vortex carefully before responding. I can't be sure what happened, or what this is. I'm a battle mage, not a scholar. Those seem to be cracks in the world itself, and this looks a lot like a magical portal. Perhaps the world cracked right through to somewhere else. Master Norris nodded. I thought so. Let's find out where it goes. Master Norris' massive hand grabbed the little sun goblin by the neck, and before Took had a chance to protest, he was flying towards the vortex. Took felt like a thousand needles were sticking into his skin as he passed through the vortex, and then he landed with a splat on a hard, wet surface. Slowly climbing to his feet, Took looked up and lost his breath at the sight. Hundreds of towering buildings, of a size that could hardly be dreamed of, covered the land. Large metal things flew through the air, going in all directions. Rain pattered down around him. He moved to the edge and realized he was on the roof of another tower. Looking down, the ground was a great distance away. Brilliant lights of all colors lit up the world around him. Took's mind struggled to comprehend what his eyes saw. One of the metal flying things was coming straight towards him. Took glanced behind them. The vortex, the portal was there. He was just a few steps away from home. Should he run? If he came back without some answers, Master Norris might not be happy with him. As he debated, the object arrived and sat down on the roof a few feet away. A door opened and a woman stepped out of the flying carriage. She spoke but Took didn't know the language. She tried again a few times with no luck. After a moment, Took realized he was being a fool. Holding up his hand for her to wait, he quickly cast a simple spell to speak and understand spoken languages. Can you understand me? Took asked. The woman's head tilted in interest. I can. Are you able to understand me now? Took nodded. 
How were you able to do that? My universal translator didn't seem to be able to do anything. Where are you from? The woman asked. It was Took's turn to be intrigued. It was a simple spell, really. Anyone with some magical training can generally do it in my world. The woman looked over at the portal. So that is a portal to some other world? A world where there is magic and spells? Yes. Took confirmed. You don't have those here? How is all of this possible without incredible magic? He asked, gesturing to the shining city around them. Advanced technology, she replied. We can do all sorts of incredible things with it. Where did this portal come from? Did you make it with your magic? Why? Took shook his head. It was made with magic, but not mine. And I believe it was an accident. I don't know what they were trying to do, but it didn't work. This portal seems to have happened as a byproduct of that failure. And you came through to see my world? She asked. Took nodded. Can I step through and see your world? Do you need magic to traverse the portal? I don't believe you need magic. Took answered. But I don't know that you should go through. He probably wouldn't welcome you. Who? Master Norris, the Plague Master. He commands one of the greatest armies in my world. He sacked a hundred cities and defeated every enemy he's come up against. He commands the land on the other side of that portal. If you step through, who knows what he will do. And you serve this monster. You go through a mysterious portal for him, but betray him like this? Shouldn't you lure me in so he can gain information about my world? Took shrugged. Perhaps. But then again, I didn't step through that portal. He threw me through to test it. I could have died and he wouldn't have cared. You don't serve Master Norris because you like him, believe in him, or want to. You serve or you die. Then stay here. Teach us about your world and you may find a place in our society. I think I would like that. Took agreed, eager to see more of the amazing city around him and to be free of Master Norris's horrors. The woman held out her hand. I am Ariadri. Took shook it. Name's Took. A flash of light came from the portal, and both looked to see a human in leather armor with a quiver on his back lying on the rooftop. Arrows were scattered around him. He looked terrified. Looking up, he saw the city, the strange sights, and took shaking hands with the woman. Scrambling to his feet, he rushed back through the portal. Took cursed. He'll tell Master Norris about your world. There are riches and opportunities here that can't be found in our world. As soon as his army recovers, they'll invade. Master Norris commands thousands and has powerful spellcasters in his service that have the power to destroy hundreds at a time. He can't be allowed through. You say the army is in disarray? Ariadri asked. To put it mildly. Took replied. The disaster was catastrophic. Hundreds were dead and hundreds more wounded. It's chaos over there. Perfect, Ariadri said with a smile. Then now is our best chance to end the threat before it becomes serious. I'm familiar with men like this Master Norris. He's a bully and a fiend, and he leads his army by force. 
Remove him, and the army will scatter. Wait here. I shall return soon enough. Ariadri gave a nod and smile to Took, and then walked to the portal, drawing two swords as she walked, and stepped through. Master Norris was questioning the archer he had sent through when he noticed the shadow of a woman appear in the portal a moment before Ariadri stepped through. Ariadri looked the towering minotaur up and down, and then looked around at the army, the portal, and the crater where the city had been. Master Norris, I presume, Ariadri said. I am Ariadri, and I bring a message. You've learned that this is a portal to my world. I am here to tell you that you are not welcome to enter. If you wish to engage in trade or an exchange of knowledge, we can discuss it and make arrangements. If you are thinking of invading, know that I will not allow it. Master Norris took a deep breath and blew out through his nose angrily. Those who told Master Norris what to do rarely lived to see another day. He saw no reason for this to be any different. If the archer was to be believed, there was a whole new world through that portal, ripe for the plucking. Raising his great weapon, Master Norris said, There is not a man or woman in this world who can command me. There is now, Ariadri said with a smirk. Master Norris bellowed in rage and attacked, swinging his mighty weapon with all the considerable power at his disposal. In a sight that he could hardly believe, Ariadri leaped into the air, soaring twenty feet up, flipping forward, and landing behind Master Norris. He spun but was too slow to block her first attacks. She was unnaturally fast. Bringing his weapon to bear, he struck again. Ariadri dove under it and put a gash in his ankle. The minotaur lashed out and his hoof caught her in the stomach, sending her flying ten feet back into the dirt. Ariadri stood, clearly injured, and charged again. Being a little more careful, she leaped around Master Norris, dodging most of his strikes and avoiding any serious blows. As she dodged another blow, Master Norris let go of his weapon. It went sailing off through the air, and he was able to spin quickly enough to grab the infuriating woman in one hand. Raising her up to look in her eyes, he grabbed an arm with his other hand and pulled a favored move of the Plague Master. Ariadri's face contorted in pain as the arm was ripped from her torso. Rather than blood, Master Norris was surprised to see sparks, metal, and wires. In his moment of surprise, Ariadri brought her other sword to bear and plunged it through the Minotaur's eye. Master Norris collapsed, dead. Ariadri extracted herself from the dead hand and collected her severed arm. The archer, forgotten until that moment, stared in awe and horror at her. Stepping closer to him, Ariadri looked him in the eye. Tell everyone else that my world is protected. There are many thousands more just like me. It was a lie, but he didn't need to know. And we will defend our world. If anyone comes through with ill intent, they shall meet the same fate as your former boss. Understand? The archer nodded meekly, too stunned to speak. Excellent, Ariadri said happily. Have a wonderful day. Taking another brief look around, seeing many soldiers gaping at her and the body of Master Norris, Ariadri gave a cheerful wave and stepped back through the portal.
To say that Took was surprised to see Ariadri alive and well, so to speak, would be a gross understatement. He let you go? He had no choice. He's dead. Now I have to report in and get a guard station placed on this portal. Then what do you say I show you some of the wonders of my world, and you tell me of yours? Took nodded, not sure what to say to a warrior that could defeat the great Master Norris. Together, they headed for the metal contraption which Ariadri arrived in. Back in Took's homeworld, as Ariadri predicted, Master Norris's army disbanded. A few lieutenants tried to keep it together and ended up with some fractured bands. But the great threat to the land was finished. Another, greater threat had just been introduced, though. Unknown to those at the Shatterpoint, thousands of portals had been torn open across this world, leading to thousands of dimensions. The crossroads, as this world would soon be known, was open for business. Tales of the Crossroads is brought to you by Salfane Games and the Crossroads Interdimensional Tabletop RPG. Thank you for listening.